Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Fair's Moving Markets podcast. It's Friday, the 22nd of December, and my name is Helen Freer. The year-end rally resumed in US stock markets yesterday. On today's show, I'll be talking about all the latest market news with my colleague, Lucia Chachulovic. And Cyril Demaria joins me for the first time this morning. Cyril is our Head of Private Market Strategy at Julius Baer. And we're going to be talking today about what higher interest rates mean for private markets. But first up is Lucia. Good morning, Lucia. Good morning, Helen. So... On Wednesday, US stocks had their worst day since October, and nobody's quite sure why. But then yesterday, it seemed like all the worries had disappeared and stocks resumed their year-end rally. What more can you tell us? Yeah, so the ups and downs this week have been really interesting. Yesterday, all three major US stock indices advanced, and in the S&P 500 index, more than 450 names ended the day in the green. Now, Micron Technology, the memory chip maker, was actually the best performer. It jumped 6% after the company topped quarterly expectations and issued guidance that exceeded forecasts, and this lifted other semiconductor stocks too. And yeah, so it seems that the year-end rally is continuing. And uh, just to throw some numbers at you, Helen, the market remains on track for an eight-week winning streak, which would be the first in over five years. And from the end of October until yesterday, the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 are up around 13%, while the Nasdaq Composite is up around 16%. The key now will be to see if U.S. equities can hold on to their gains in the last few trading days of the year. And uh, fun fact, if they do, this period of the last five trading days in the year is commonly referred to as the Santa Claus rally. Since 1969, the S&P 500 has gained an average of 1.3% during this period. Okay, interesting statistics there. But it looks like this positive mood wasn't transferred to Asian markets overnight. They were trading very mixed. What's been driving markets there, Lucia? Well, Asian stocks started with gains, but then reversed following a sell-off in technology shares in Hong Kong, which was triggered by China's new restrictions for mobile games. More specifically, China announced a raft of measures aimed at reducing money and time spent in online games. Many see this as a start of another industry crackdown from China, and this really weighed on most equity markets in the region. In other news out of Asia, we received new inflation figures for Japan, which showed that the headline inflation rate slowed to 2.8% in November, down from 3.3% in October. And this is the slowest pace of inflation since July 2022. Core inflation, which strips out prices of fresh food, came in at 2.5%, lower than October's figure of 2.9%. All right. Now, in commodities, probably the biggest headline is that Angola said it would leave OPEC. And although it's one of the smallest producers, it still raises a few questions about OPEC's efforts in limiting global supplies. Yeah, that's right, Helen. So Angola's oil minister said the country's membership in OPEC was not serving its interests. At a meeting in November, Angola had actually protested the decision by OPEC to cut its production quota for 2024 to help prop up oil prices. 
And the country is a small producer, as you said, so its departure will likely only have a limited impact on global supplies. Anyway, there is a lot of news around oil and some are supporting higher prices like the tensions in the Red Sea, while some are supporting lower prices. For example, the US Energy Information Administration reported that US crude oil production rose to a record 13.3 million barrels per day last week. Now, I also want to talk about the British pound because it's fluctuated quite a bit over the last few days. Can you shed some more light on this for us, Lucia? Sure. So sterling fell against the dollar and the euro after data this week showed that UK inflation fell in November, coming in well below expectations. This caused markets to bring forward their bets on when the Bank of England will start cutting interest rates. However, the British pound did manage to gain some ground late yesterday and overnight. And speaking of the UK, just quickly, Switzerland has approved a post-Brexit agreement covering the financial services, right? Yeah, that's right. So the UK and Switzerland signed a deal which is designed to bring the two banking centres closer together. And this agreement is likely to be some sort of blueprint for UK's future agreements with other countries. And that's why it's so interesting. Absolutely. Um, And in the world of crypto, Coinbase secured a crypto license in France. And this comes at a time when there's a bit of a rift between the crypto exchange and the US Securities and Exchange Commission. Could you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, so the French markets regulator has granted Coinbase a virtual asset service provider approval, which is effectively a green light for the company to operate digital currency services in France. This move paves the way for Coinbase to expand its services in the key European market. And another interesting fact this morning, according to data firm Toluna, 10% of French adults currently own crypto assets, while 24% plan to buy, sell or trade crypto in the next 12 months. Okay, great. Thanks, Lucia. So we've covered a few interesting stories this morning. Looking ahead to today then, what can investors expect for the day ahead? Well, we haven't talked about it just yet, but today we will get the U.S. Personal Income and Spending Report, which includes the U.S. Federal Reserve's favorite inflation metric, the PCE deflator. The deflator is expected to come in at 0% month-on-month or 2.8% year-on-year. Core PCE is expected at 0.2% month-on-month or 3.3% year-on-year. We will also get other figures out of the U.S., such as durable goods orders, new home sales, or the University of Michigan sentiment figures. In Europe, we've just received a batch of data from the U.K., so it will be interesting to see how the British pound will react to this today. And other interesting data points include Spain's GDP as well as France's PPI inflation figures. And now finally, futures in Europe and in the US are still mostly in the red. So let's see if we will get the Santa Claus rally or not. Great. Thanks very much, Lucia, for the comprehensive roundup this morning. Thanks for having me, Helen. Now, Cyril, good morning and welcome to the podcast, firstly. Good to have you here this morning. Good morning, Helen. So... For a while now, people have been talking a lot about higher interest rates and what that means ultimately for financial markets. And of course, lately also when we'll see the first rate cuts. What about specifically for private equity? What's the impact of higher rates on investments in private markets? 
Well, I think we need to differentiate. Let's start with venture capital. Um, venture capital, which is the business of financing uh, startups, uh, uh, experiences some ripple effects of the interest rates. Of course, we, we don't use that when financing uh, startups, but um, the impact is on the investors. First of all, um, investors uh, have reduced the amount of capital that they want to invest in such a sector. It's mostly redirected towards other assets, which, which are attractive again, uh, uh, we think about notably fixed income and so it depresses the investment activity um, admittedly the investors are also more selective and this is already visible in the statistics so the consequence is that you have a demand of capital which remains stable or even is increasing over the long term and then you have a provision of capital which is uh, edging uh, downwards and so the impact on the valuations is that uh, they're decreasing themselves and also that the terms of investment are tightening um, investors ask for higher protection and and uh, liquidity preferences okay so valuations going down i guess this is a bad thing for those already invested but also means there's an opportunity for new investments in this space is that right Yes, indeed. Um, that's the, the magic of uh, investment, right? So um, someone is not happy, someone else is a little bit more happy. So if you do investments today, um, the world is more or less your oyster. I, I wouldn't go that far as saying it's, it's exceptional, but it starts to get uh, quite interesting, especially uh, given the fact that you might have startups which are uh, extremely promising, but also have demonstrated that they're able to go through uh, the difficulties we experience over the, the course of the last three to five years. And so uh, over the long term, the valuations should, should recover uh, with the economic cycle. And so that might be a, a very good uh, tailwind to have. And what about in the growth capital space? Valuations there will also be affected for the same reason, right? That's exactly true. Um, the, the fun part of uh, growth equity is that it's financing profitable, fast growth companies. So these assets are considered as priced assets. So normally it's very difficult to get a good bargain, but the, admittedly today, um, the, the, the environment is a little bit more challenging. So of course, you know, the demand and offer of capital, as I described earlier, is a little bit more in favor of the capital providers. The other thing, which is quite visible is that historically uh, growth equity was a little bit uh, in competition with direct lending because entrepreneurs could choose either to get non-dilutive sources of financing or dilutive one. Of course, they would go for the first one, especially because it was available but cheap. Today, since the first one is a little bit more expensive, then growth equity is back in place. So there are more opportunities. And then, of course, uh, if, uh, if the entrepreneur uh, faces some uh, challenging microeconomic environments, then the input from the investor um, uh, who will provide the growth equity capital is also more valuable. So um, it might also be the right time to think about growth equity investing. And higher rates also uh, mean that the overall cost of financial leverage is higher. So what does this mean for leverage buyouts? What are your expectations there? So it's a bit of a contrasted impact. Everybody assumes that buyout is you buy a mature, stable company and then, you know, you leverage it up and then uh, you just sit on your hands and then you make a lot of money. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, in a nutshell, um, if you do small and mid-sized buyout, in a way, you don't really use a lot of financial leverage. So the fact that you have higher cost of leverage is not necessarily 
a deal killer. Um, it's it's going to to be very resilient anyway, and and you have very interesting opportunities. In the larger end, of course, you use more debt. Having said that, uh, what we observe over the course of the, the years which have been following the, the global financial crisis is that the use of leverage has been very moderate under the, the dual pressure of the regulators who uh, said in the US and in Europe that you should never leverage more than six times EBDA unless you have a very solid case. And the other thing that we have been observing is that anyway, the equity uh, contribution from the LBO investors has been fairly significant, meaning above uh, um, uh, 40% on a recurring basis. So the impact of higher interest rates on the, the economics of the deal is actually, let's say, fairly moderate so far. Some deals actually were done without debt. But um. There are two more consequences uh, to explore. The first one is that, of course, the market is a little bit in a wait and see mode. Uh, we have trouble to establish the equilibrium prices between the people who would like to sell the assets and uh, uh, the people who would like to buy them, so the, the buyout operators. So that's why the volume of activities is a bit slower. But um, uh, just like as we said for the two other strategies, the valuations, as soon as the equilibrium price is found, should be more attractive again. The, the, the main issue at the moment is that, of course, the current deals are challenged, especially because they were done with uh, debt, which was with floating rates. And then there are uh, very few distributions because the IPO window is, is very slow. IPOs are scarce. And since the cost of debt is increasing, it's much more difficult for uh, LBO fund investors to get distributions from the exits uh, from the LBO funds. So trade sales, so industrial sales or secondary buyouts are much more scarcer. So um, it's a contrasted impact, but uh, admittedly, on the short to midterm, the opportunity set is rich and should be very interesting uh, to explore in 2024. Okay, very interesting. Thanks very much, Cyril. Good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for having me, Ellen. So that is all for today. This is actually the last normal episode of Moving Markets for this year. There won't be a podcast on Monday and Tuesday next week, but we will be back on Wednesday, the 27th of December with a special episode. And then apart from on the 1st of January, we will publish a special episode for you every weekday. The podcast will then return in its normal format on Thursday, the 4th of January. So I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in throughout the year. We do hope that you enjoy our Moving Markets podcast and we're looking forward to bringing you many more market insights next year. And I wish you all a wonderful Christmas. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player.